0: Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption... By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And of children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. It is an industry that is valued... At more than $11 billion. It's been around in its formal sense for at least 150 years. In fact, on books alone, Americans spend $800 million on this issue. What's so valuable? Self help. Self help books. Self help seminars. Tony Robbins. Dr. Phil. Oprah. Our smiley friend in Houston. Saying, who do we know in Houston? Is he just rejecting all smiling people in Houston? It may interest you to know, in 1859, a man by the name of Samuel Smiles—what a great name for a guy who's going to go into self-help! All right, a guy named Samuel Smiles is credited with the first modern example of the genre with a book simply entitled "Self-Help." And really, it was a book designed to encourage folks to get out of what would have been the then the, the, the cycle of poverty. It, w- it was a way to encourage folks to make the most. Of their own lives. Of course, since that time, it's been off to the races, right? And what's been the promise of this industry? It's going to make us smarter, happier, healthier, wealthier, and just in general, to enjoy our best life now. Now. Let me ask you, church, is this happening? I mean, after 150 years, is this happening? After 150 years of much of this kind of information, are we healthier, happier, smarter, better? I mean, in general, would you look around and say... Yeah, I think people are more at peace. I think people deal with less anxiety and less depression and less stress and less worry than they used to. Or, in spite of having 150 years worth of this kind of material, in fact, things just seem if, as bad if not worse than ever, right? Well, for you and I with a believer's worldview, those of us who are Christian, we recognize the fundamental problem. And that is for most in this kind of an industry, they're really missing what is the core problem. And the core problem is that we all possess a sin nature. We all have a sin problem and the fundamental issue that we're struggling with are not necessarily all of these outlying symptoms. Instead, there is a much greater cause. And the Bible is explicit here that the only real means of experiencing Any kind of relief, it's not going to happen based on my own work and effort. Instead, the solution comes only through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in fact, God in His goodness has gone even one step further. Not just saving us in Christ, but the means by which He's accomplished this great task. Is by giving us the Holy Spirit. Really, the truth is, we've always had the means by which, as believers, we could experience true, I guess I'd say true, self-help, though it's not based on ourselves. Instead, God in His grace has given us His Spirit, and it is through His Spirit that we are then enabled and empowered to live life of faith and obedience and service to Jesus Christ. This is what Romans 8 is getting at. Romans 8 is a discussion of the gospel and its application to life in light of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit. Paul, after going seven chapters without hardly mentioning the Spirit, mentions the Spirit nearly 20 times in this one chapter. And so Paul is really trying to to bring out how, in fact, it is our relationship with the Holy Spirit that makes the gospel real and and, and makes our relationship with God real and meaningful. It is, it is through the Spirit that we continue to enjoy obedience and service, and it is through the Spirit that we can be encouraged and experience hope. It is the ministry of the Spirit that as believers we've got to get right if we're going to live the Christian life. So this has been our focus in Romans 8, and in particular, verses 9 through 17 Paul then addresses an issue that I think is an issue at one time or another for all believers. How do I know that I'm really saved? How how can I be certain that, in fact, I am a child of God? Given all that he said about the problems of not being a child of God, well, that's a question we really want to get right. And Paul's answer is grounded in the Holy Spirit. So Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 17 Paul really encourages these believers in Rome that because of the work of the Spirit, they can be certain of their salvation. Well, in what ways? Well, three ways. We've already looked at one, and we got to number two. So, so the first one that we looked at several weeks ago is that we know that we're believers because the Spirit indwells us. This is the promise of the work of salvation. And then number two that we got to two weeks, away, uh, two weeks ago, the Spirit empowers us. The Spirit empowers us. Again, we we noted this a couple of weeks ago before we took the Lord's Supper. Paul in verses 12 through 14, you know, lays out for us this this very clear promise of what's going on. Therefore, in other words, going right back to what he just said in verses 9 through uh, through 11, uh, we're not in the flesh, we are in the Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells in us. So therefore, we're not debtors to the flesh. We're not obligated to do the things that our flesh at one time was obligated to do. I'm no longer under the dominion of sin. As as he put it in Romans 6, I'm no longer a slave to sin. We're no longer debtors. We don't have to live this way. And then he goes on to say then in verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Does that disturb anybody? It should, all right? That should really be disturbing, all right? Especially for a guy who opened up the sermon talking about self help. That's like the opposite, right? That is hardly encouraging whatsoever because a lot of folks then may be thinking, well, Pastor, you've said that salvation is not my work, it's God's work. That I can't earn my salvation. And I also very clearly and boldly proclaim, not only can I not earn it, I can't lose it once I've got it, all right? So it's not mine to get, and it's not mine to lose. Meaning, God is the one who does the saving and securing and sanctifying of me. So what does this mean? If you, live by the, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Well, the next phrase helps explain it. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. What Paul was doing is giving kind of a, a back-end encouragement, so to speak. He's not saying that if I live according to the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the flesh, then I will be saved. Paul is kind of giving another angle here. Those who live in the flesh demonstrate that they, in fact, have not been converted. To live in the flesh is to continually do those things that are consistent with worldliness, with sinfulness, with deeds of the flesh. Quite simply, those who live, in a way, it's not consistent with being saved by the gospel. Now, that could be gross and extreme forms of sin, or it could just be, you know, just a nominal kind of Christianity, a rather meaningless, lazy, complacent kind of Christianity. What he means here is those who live by the flesh, those who give evidence that their lives are kind of entrenched in fleshliness, but those who live by the Spirit, they give evidence of salvation. And that evidence of salvation is that they put to death the deeds of the flesh. They put to death the deeds of the flesh. And he goes on to add this statement in verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Again, it's the same idea. For those who are led, and he uses the word led, but it's really the language of being under submission to. Those who are under the authority of. In, In other words, those who are led by the Spirit... As if the Spirit were the leader, the one in charge, right? That's what it's getting at here. Not this casual, nonchalant kind of following. It is, in fact, those who are under the authority of the Spirit. But Those who give evidence, they are sons of God. Now, here's what we're going to do for the rest of the time. You say, rest the time? Preacher man, you know what time it is? Yeah, there's a clock up there. It's right up there. I can see it. And it means nearly nothing to me. But, I mean, there is one up there. I just... Well, I want you to know that, alright? I love you, all of you. Uh, and so, I, I do recognize, And he, because here's what I've intended to do. This is a little different. It's not really a rabbit trail, per se. But it is a bit of a, of a jaunt, okay? A bit of a jumping off. We're going to take a little stroll around a topic here that I pray is very practical. It's going to be very straightforward. I know there's a lot of points in your bulletin. Everybody take a deep breath. All right, okay, I know you're looking at it and thinking, this guy's crazy. He's done this for almost 10 years. All right, why does he keep doing this? He's been a preacher for 20 years. He should know better. He should know himself. We're, I promise you, we're, we're going to blaze through this because what I want to do, I want to take just a minute, the rest of our minutes, you know, when a pastor says, I'm going to take a minute or finally, it's like when a contractor says, this is going to take four months, all right? It is the same thing. And those of you who are contractors, you know I love you, all right? But you do know that it's the same idea, all right? Okay? It's kind of a general, where, where Paul says, if, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. I want to play off that for a minute, the rest of our time. do you put to death the deeds of the body in other words this really seems to be a central concern here and in fact if a means of being assured of my salvation is that i'm empowered by the spirit empowered for what well empowered for what he just said put to death the deeds of the flesh now does that mean i could just sit around now if i'm a believer i'll never be uh, weak or uh, susceptible to sin again man that'd be awesome wouldn't it wouldn't that be great When you got saved, you know how many people, you know how many people we get saved, all right? In other words, if you say, man, you get saved, you never have to deal with sin again, all right? Well, that's just not true. So what can we do to put to death the deeds of the flesh? So I'm going to give you eight actions. You're going to have to be ready. Get those fingers moving, all right? You want to fill in these blanks. You're going to want to keep this information with you. I think it'll be helpful to you. A few of these initial points are largely drawn off of what we've already said about the text. If you'd like a little bit more background into this, and you're new, uh, or only been here for a few weeks, go online, listen to the sermons beginning in Romans chapter 8, or go back further and listen to the sermons in Romans chapter 6, uh, because those would be of a similar flavor, so to speak. So, how, how can we then cooperate with this empowering work of the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh? You ready for this? Eight points in the next minutes? All right. Yes. Number one. Acknowledge salvation's freedom from sin. Now, this is not necessarily a step-by-step process, though I think this is where you begin. You know what I'm going to tell you to do here? Talk to yourself. Every day. That's right. Other people are going to think you're crazy, but I'm going to let you in on something. They already do. All right? All right, so just own it. Own it. Embrace it. Acknowledge Salvation's freedom from sin. You tell yourself every day. I'm telling you, this is going to sound a bit Tony Robbins. All right, it's going to be a bit self help. It's going to sound that way. But it's biblically based. All right, it's grounded in the gospel. What does Paul do when he begins verse 12? And what does he do throughout the book of Romans? After giving us harsh and difficult information, he often comes back and reminds us of what is the glory of the gospel. And that is the fact that you, in and of your own self, did not do anything to earn your salvation, you cannot then of your own power lose your salvation. It is a gift of God's grace, and you should remind yourself every day what Paul says in verse 12, you are no longer a debtor to the flesh. You are freed from sin's power. You're freed from it. You're not obligated to it, right? We use the word obligation, we use the word debt. Now, this might be a bit discouraging. That means every sin I commit is intentional. Right? It's not a, well, a momentary weakness, or it's not like you just stumble into it. Alright, you've got to own it. More on that in a minute. But for now, I think you begin by telling yourself, every day when you wake up, every night when you go to, go to bed, when you wake up in the morning and you remember whatever it was you did yesterday, it was just really, really dumb. Alright? You really shouldn't have done it, but you remember it, you remind yourself that while yes, it may have been sin, you are a blood-bought, redeemed son or daughter of the living God. Nothing changes so, acknowledge salvation's freedom from sin. Remind yourself that morning I don't have to be a slave to this sin. Acknowledge it. Number two, respect sin's ability to enslave. Because we have so many points, they're all up there, so I know some of you are going to go ahead and fill in the blanks. All right? Respect sin's ability to enslave you. Now, this is the other side of what I just said. Our first principle, I think, here is is to acknowledge that yes, in Christ, I'm freed from the obligation and debt of sin. I'm not a slave to sin. But do not underestimate the power of sin to try to re enslave you. Don't treat it lightly. Uh, understand that sin is still powerful. In other words, there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. I can be confident in the gospel, but I should not be so arrogant as to assume I've now risen above the rabble of everybody else, and I'll no longer indulge in the things that just the great unwashed indulge in. Nope. You may have been washed in the blood, but my goodness, you can get down in the pigsty in a second. Right? You and I have... Still, significant capacity to sin. So, this is kind of like, you know, initial mental games, so so to speak. I am saved, but yet sin is a very real threat, and I I need to be mindful and respectful. Which is why, church, you have Jesus telling you if your right eye causes you to sin. Gouge it out. Preacher, that's graphic. You're right. It is. I don't know what to tell you. I know everybody loves to think that only Jesus only said really sweet, quotable things. I don't know. You don't see that one cross-stitched that often, right? I mean, that's not one that you normally see uh, in Christian bookstores, <laughs> uh, you know, with a beautiful mountain backdrop. That's not what you normally see. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Because Jesus recognizes, right? Jesus recognizes the danger of this thing. Sin is dangerous. It's dangerous if we're lost and dead in it. It's dangerous even if we've been freed from it. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. And he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. We need to be mindful of how powerful sin can be. Number three, check your triggers. Check your triggers. If you want to learn to put to death the deeds of the flesh... You need to be mindful of the things that trip your flesh's trigger. And for us, it's going to be different. Your thing may not be mine thing, and and vice versa. It it could be any given kind of thing. But just be mindful of what can cause you. I say cause you. What what can weaken you to sin's temptation? Be mindful of of your triggers. They could be a physical location. It could be material of some sort. What you see online, what you see on TV, what you read, the books you might read, what you may hear. Uh, it, it could be some other emotion. It, it could Listen, let, let me give you really practical advice. I would be on the lookout when you get tired and bored. That's a trigger, church. When you get tired, and if you add to that stress... That, that, that can be a very real situation where sin can rear its ugly head. Well, you know, we see this in other avenues of life, don't we? I've, I've told you before, uh, I am an emotional eater. I don't mean for this to sound like Oprah, all right? but it will for a moment, okay? I am. But here's the problem. Every emotion is an emotion that may drive me to eat, alright? It in other words, all of it takes me to Ben and Jerry's. All of it takes me to Ben and Jerry's. It doesn't matter. It could be really, really great. Guess what I want? Ben and Jerry's, all right? It could be really, really bad. Guess what I want? Ben and Jerry's. You know what I need not do when I feel really, really great or feel really, really bad? Don't go to the grocery store, right? Don't go. I know that's a silly example, but it is. It recognizes these triggers. Be mindful. Be mindful of the people or places or material that could trip your anger, that can trip lust. Be mindful when, when you're going through times of stress, especially like trials, suffering of some kind, physical problems of some kind. Be mindful of this. How about relational struggles? Be mindful when these things might be a trigger. In other words, they're gonna be a, a means that sin may use. Let me give you a principle that I think is accurate. I wouldn't give it if I didn't, but I think it is. Sin's strength is found in its ability to wait until the right set of circumstances presents themselves. And then it strikes. For example, Satan did not take Eve to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He waited until she showed up there. So don't underestimate sin's willingness to be patient and to wait for the right set of circumstances in your life before it pounces. Be mindful of things that could trigger the flesh. Say, Pastor, what do you think I should do if there are things in my life that should trigger the flesh? I'd go back to what I said Jesus said. I don't mean literally gouge out your eye, obviously, right? or literally cut off your hand. I don't mean that, neither did Jesus. He was using hyperbole to make a point, which he did on more than one occasion. But treat it aggressively, aggressively. Because what does Jesus go on to say in that same passage? Better for you to have only one eye than to Burn. I think, by the way, this is what Paul means. I think that's, that's what he's getting at in this verse, verse 13. When he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I think that I, we shouldn't kill the, the intensity of that statement. We should be mindful that not only of sin's power, but then those things that, that can be triggers for us. And if, and if there are triggers out there, then I think we should do what we can to rid ourselves of them. Number four... Submit sinful thoughts to Christ. So here's what very well will happen, and this is how it often happens. You find yourself in kind of a situation where you're weak, perhaps, and then thoughts pop in to your mind. Sometimes they pop in, and I know you don't want to admit this. It's Sunday morning. We all look spiritual here, right? You don't want to admit this, but sometimes the thought pops in your mind and you're terrified by it. You think, where in the world did that come from? How could... How could I possibly think something like that? Let me encourage you. The thought is not the sin. But dwell on it, and then of course act on it. Yes, then that becomes sin. In other words, I need to be mindful of how I'm thinking. I need to arrest the first thought the first inkling that something here is off. The first time I feel in this, this encouragement to, to come back under sin's power and sway. I need to submit that thought to Christ. I submit it to the gospel. I come before God in prayer and acknowledge that I'm freed from sin's obligation. That in Christ I've now been covered by His blood. I don't have to do this thing. And I'll tell you, there can be great power if you confess this out loud. I know, it sounds weird, right? There can be great power, though, if you actually verbalize what it is that you're dealing with. Confess that to the Lord. Submit sinful thoughts to Christ. Then you do the next action, which is verse 5. Set your mind on biblical truth. Set your mind on biblical truth. In other words, you need to maintain an active discipline of the reading of the word being exposed to things that also are grounded in the word the teaching music that there there needs to be a consistent diet of bible in your brain Or do you want to get rid of the negative thought, but you also want to put into it, I know that sounds sounds like self-help, right? Sounds like I could be be an author of a self-help book. But I think that the language, though, is pretty helpful. I I want to get rid of the sinful thought, but you can't be a blank slate. You know, spouses, sometimes you think your husband's sitting there and he's not thinking anything. All right, I promise you he is, okay? He is. You You can't rid your mind of all thought. You can replace it, though. So take that which is the sin and, and, and give yourself to building a biblical mind. You know what's coming next, right church? When I say stuff like this? Be mindful of the media to which you are exposed. And when I say media, I mean that in its most general sense. I'm not telling you to never watch a movie. I'm not telling you to never do social media. I'm not telling you to get off of, you know, to never listen to a secular song or go to a movie theater. I'm not telling you that. Though I can tell you, if you get to glory and you decide not to do those things, I can promise you Jesus is not going to look at you and say, you should have watched more movies produced by Hollywood. I'm just telling you, he'll never do that, All right, Never. He'll never do that. That's a pretty bold statement to make, right? But I'm telling you, he'll never do that. Okay. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not. I, I, I'm not falling back to a you know to a kind of a, a hard nosed fundamentalist legalistic attitude here. But I will tell you. Your mind is a powerful thing. And your mind is going to operate in a manner that's consistent with those things to which you expose it the most. It's just the way it is. And and so, be mindful of media. I mean, how, how often has media then been an encouragement for some to lust? What about anger? Anything you ever see in any media source that makes you angry? What about disappointment? Even forms of depression, of thinking that, you know... What good is your life? You ever have any of these thoughts on a particular social media site that to me seems largely designed to make you feel bad about your life by looking at the fake lives of other people? Then it happens a lot, right? So These are just examples, by the way. What about the music that you listen to? What about... What about the other media to which you expose yourself? The books that you might read or blogs, whatever else you may be doing online? Again, TV shows. Just be mindful of what's going into your mind. You want to make sure that you are filling your mind with biblical truth. Because the Spirit's in you. The Spirit indwells you. And because the Spirit indwells you, the Spirit empowers you. And what does the Spirit work with? The Spirit works with the Word to form and fashion you into the image of Christ. So be mindful of what you're setting your mind on. Next one. We've got just a few more here. You didn't think I could do it, but we're about to do it, all right? Pray for God's deliverance and strength. You want to help put to death the deeds of the flesh? Pray for God's deliverance and strength. Jesus, in His own model prayer, said what? Deliver us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, that's not to say that you're praying that because God may lead you into temptation and not want to deliver you from evil, Instead, it's just a way of acknowledging, God, I know I live in a sinful, fallen world. I deal with the flesh all around me. And so, God, I need your provision. I need your presence. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. Pray for God's deliverance. There's something that is, that's bound you. And indeed, there could be people here this morning that you, you would say you are enslaved to some particular sin, pattern, habit, thought. I would encourage you, not only to go through what we've talked about, but bring this before the Lord. Pray for His strength. Pray for His deliverance, because the gospel has saved you. I want you to listen to me, church. Whatever sin is besetting you, whatever sin is plaguing you, the gospel has saved you from it. You're not obligated to it. Ask for God's deliverance. And then number seven, confess your sin quickly and often. Confess your sin quickly and often. One one individual put it this way, keep your sin list short. You you, you want to, soon as there is a sin, soon as there is a violation, soon as there is a deed of the flesh you did not put to death, be honest, bring it before the Lord, confess it. Be prepared to confess quickly. What a profound moment we had this morning. Going through Psalm 51. I would encourage you to make Psalm 51 kind of a regular stop in your visit through the Bible. It's just that profound of a text, I think. It is so helpful to pray back to the Lord. It's so easy to pray back to the Lord, because that is what it is. is—a Song of confession. And then number eight. And finally... Eight points. 30 minutes. Look at that. All right. Now that's a problem though because now you're thinking, I told you you could do it. All right. Now you're thinking, you can do it. It's possible. All right. It's possible for you to do it. Be accountable to others. Be accountable to others. You may have been with me up to now, but number eight may be a tricky one. But I am telling you, sin is, Loves silence and solitude. Sin loves to be kept in the dark for you to be quiet about it. Righteousness loves the light and accountability with brothers and sisters in Christ. So whatever it is that you're going through, bring it Bring in somebody else. Bring in the people of God. Join together with God's people. Struggle through this Christian life together. You want to put to death the deeds of the flesh. I think this is how you do it. This is how you cooperate with what Paul has said here in Romans chapter 8. You are cooperating with the presence of the Spirit. who's not only indwelling you, but empowering you. Through Him, you can put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so as we have a time of invitation as we have an opportunity for you to respond then, uh, heart, mind, and maybe if you even want to come and you want to pray down here, you want me to pray with you, as we sing a profound promise, how God in Christ will hold us fast. My first appeal would be to anybody here who does not know Christ as Savior, if you are trying to fight this thing we've called sin, but you're doing it without Christ, you are losing. You are losing. You cannot win it. You cannot win it. Because the problem is not just your external actions. It's an internal heart. And if you've never trusted Christ as Savior, if you've never confessed that you're a sinner, believe Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, if you've not asked God to save you based on what Christ and Christ alone has done, then you don't have the power, but you can. promise is extended to you. Repent. Believe the gospel, and you shall be saved. And if you want to know more about that, I'll be right down front. I'd love an opportunity to talk more, pray more. Even after the service, I'll be down front. would love a chance to talk more with you about what it means to trust Christ as Savior. The believer, maybe you hear this and you'd say, well, there are some deeds of the flesh that need to be put to death. What are they? And what is it that plagues you, besets you, frustrates you? Bring that before the Lord this morning. Again, you can come, you can pray here. I can pray with you. How would you respond to God's Word? Let's stand together and I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we will sing. You come as the Spirit might lead. Father God, we do thank You again for gathering us and for time in Your Word and for instruction on on what You have made accessible to us that we might put to death the deeds of the flesh because we know that through the Gospel, the Spirit is in us. Thank You, Father, for that confidence, the promise of Your Word. And Lord, now I just pray that as we respond to You, we do so with hearts that, uh, that would respond to Your Word. We're sensitive to how Your Spirit might bring Your Word to bear on our lives, and that we would be faithful to cooperate with it, and that You'd be glorified in it all. That's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.